Dear Father, Father in heaven, Father who's all around us, we come in the strong name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we remember what you've taught us that coming in your name enables us to access all that you have done for us through both the cross and the resurrection. Holy Spirit, we desire you. We pray that you would come as wind and fire and flood, as the wild goose that the Celts talk about, in order that we can experience your presence and power and the promise that Jesus made us, that you are our our advocate. We need you. And we pray that today we would feel and sense your presence, drawing us into the presence of our Lord Jesus, surrounded by the presence of God's attachment love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I probably have mentioned by now, uh, that podcast is probably up, that um, I was reading some of Abraham Heschel, a great Jewish philosopher. And in his writings, I came across these two Hebrew words, halach and agadah. Halach and agadah. And it's very interesting what these mean. Halak means a rule of life, a set of commitments that a person makes to live by. Agadah means that these commitments also flow out of our heart, and it's a heart of devotion, a heart where we aspire to not only do the right thing, but to align our lives according to the principles of the kingdom of God. The first has to do with what we do. The second one has to do with what motivates what we do. You know, all across the world, but particularly in the United States, there's a lot of contention arising. And it seems like what would be good judgment is being set aside for selfish interest over and over again. And I hear people admonish one another, do the right thing. And I think doing the right thing is the right thing to do. And it's certainly better than doing the wrong thing. (laughs) But do you know, according to the scriptures, doing the right thing is just not enough. We want to do the right thing. And we want to do the right thing with the right heart. So let's look at these two concepts, halach, and Agadah. Do you know the idea of a rule of life is ancient? It's not only living our life according to the teachings of Jesus, but over the centuries there have been individuals that put down a rule of life to try to help us stay on that path. And I certainly think of the rule of St. Benedict. St. Benedict was a, I don't know, let's see, a, a fifth and sixth century monk, a leader in the community of Christ, and he put together certain guidelines as to how we live together and how we are supposed to move forward in life. And the words ora et labora, which means pray and work, were at the very heart of his rule. And he talked about other rules, the rule, uh, uh, obviously, of Uh, stabilitas, where you come into a community and you stay for a long time because that's going to enable us to grow. Did you know that Jonathan Edwards, that great 
18th century theologian that came out of New England, possibly, I've said this before, the greatest theological mind ever born on the North American continent. He had a whole list of personal resolutions. He said, I resolve that I will do whatever it is that will bring the most glory to God. I will be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote bringing glory to God. If I ever fail or get dull, I shall repent of it. Well, he has a whole list of these, and it became for him the guardrails of life. Even Benjamin Franklin had a series of resolutions that he put down and said, I want to live by these. And they put these resolutions down because they believed it was best for the individual, but also best for the community around them. And so when Abraham Heschel begins to talk about this idea of a rule of life, he's talking about the law. And he's saying that these laws were put forth as a way for us to get along with one another, to promote the virtues and values of God. And for those of us that are Christians, we see this in the life of Jesus, but also in the teachings of Jesus. There are a list of things we should be committed to doing, a whole other list of things we should committed committed to not be doing. And those things are very important. This is why we need to be reading the, God's word and we need to be aligning ourselves with what it says in scripture, to be forgiving and to be gracious, to even love your enemies. These are, if you will, the rules of life, the commitments we make. Now, we're never going to do it perfectly, but we should at least know the perfect commitments that Jesus sets forth before us. But now we add this other piece to it. It's not enough that we do those things. We want to do those things because they're aligned with our heart. And that's where the deeper work comes. That's the place where transformation is needed. There's no question in my mind. That's when we need God to do some deep heart work. Oh, it's, it's possible for me to change my actions. But I need to tell you, it's a little harder for me to change my heart. That's why I need the Lord and his precious spirit to, a work, to do a work inside of me. Years ago, I had the opportunity to hang around a little bit with a guy named Eddie Espinosa. He's a great worship leader uh, coming out of the vineyard, and he's written some amazing choruses, and he's a very special man. I doubt that he has any memory of me, but I remember him. I particularly remember a song he wrote, a chorus called Change My Heart, O God. Change my heart, O oh God. Make me ever true. I want to be like you. And this is a prayer that we want to be making as we begin to think about walking the path of Jesus, the way Jesus walked that path. We need the heart of Christ. We need our character transformed. I do. And then if I get off that path, similar to what Jonathan Edwards said, I need a way for the Holy Spirit to woo me back. And then I need to repent and come home, if you will, to the way of Jesus Christ. Change my heart, O oh God. Make me ever true. 
And so what Benedict Grosha was putting together is this idea that two things are necessary. An understanding of the best way of life and then asking the Lord to change our hearts so that we're not doing it out of habit, but we're doing it because it flows from our heart, which flows from the heart of Jesus Christ. Boy, doesn't this bring us back to some of what David wrote in Psalm 51. You know this story. It's where David, he got really off the path. And he comes to God begging for mercy. And then he says, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. What he's saying is, I not only want to follow your way, but I want it to be the natural part of my heart. That, that I not only, not only give to those that are in need, but my heart is moved to give to those that are in need. That I not only share the good news of the kingdom, but I long to share the good news of the kingdom because it's part of the overflow of my heart, my heart for God and my heart for people. Many years ago, I read a book by Michael Green. It was uh, a history of evangelism. And one of the things he said is that the early disciples didn't just share the message of Christ because they were told to, but they shared the message of Christ because of love for God, love for Christ, and that that love uh, flowed to them and then would flow through them to other people. And that's what enables us to follow the way of Christ. It it may be a very helpful habit for us to sit down and maybe put our own list of resolutions together or maybe put together our own little rule of life. An idea of, if you will, commitments and actions that will keep us centered toward our North Star, Jesus Christ. But then in humility, be able to admit that we can't do these things on our own. The heart is, as Scripture says, deceitful above all things. And so we ask God to change our heart. Years ago, a man that started a great mission and refugee service around the world said, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. And once our hearts are broken like that, then our life is aligned. I like these words, halach agadah, that we need a rule of life and a heart of devotion brought together in order that we can be the witnesses of Jesus. And if we're at all wondering about the rule of life, just read the teachings of Jesus. We just need to rehearse again the Sermon on the Mount or look at the example of Christ. And we see this is the way to live in a world where you can bring peace and harmony and change. It appears that today some people that are considering themselves followers of Christ, even evangelicals, have this idea that we can be followers of Christ 
but yet live in ways that are contrary to him. You, you can't reject people because they're not like you if you're a follower of Christ, because Christ talks over and over again about he wants all people to be part of this community. And we need to want that also. This is at the very heart of what the gospel of Jesus is all about. I want you to think about this and pray for me as I think about it. Because there is no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that we're not just here waiting for Jesus to take us to heaven. But we're here to be his living witness. And part of that means walking the way of life the way Jesus walked that life. Having a rule of life that follows his teachings and repeatedly asking God to align our hearts so that these aspects of the kingdom are part of our character itself. And that becomes the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. Well, you think about that. This I know. Jesus came to show us the way, and he said in the Gospel of John that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. If we want the way, the truth, and the life, then may we align our actions and our hearts with him. <laughs>